Hi, and welcome to The Checkup, the Colorado Health Institute's podcast about health in Colorado and the policies that affect it. I'm your host, Jackie Zubricki. Colorado's Medicaid program recently launched five new Regional Accountable Entities, or RAISE, as part of an effort to improve care and reduce costs that's known as the ACC, or Accountable Care Collaborative. We recently published a paper on the RAISE, which you can find on our website, coloradohealthinstitute.org. On this episode, we'll be talking with Ken Nielsen and Dr. Patrick Fox. Ken is the Interim Executive Director, and Patrick is the Medical Director of the Colorado Community Health Alliance, or CCHA. That's the ray that covers Boulder, Colorado Springs, and some of the surrounding counties. They spoke with Jeff Bontrager, CHI's Director of Research on Health Access and Coverage. We're here with Ken Nielsen and Dr. Patrick Fox of the Colorado Community Health Alliance. Thank you both so much for being here today. So Ken, I want to start with you and uh, talk a little bit about these regional accountable entities or RAIS. Um, They're part of a big change that's happening at Health First Colorado, which of course is our state's Medicaid program. How do you explain what a RAIS is to someone like a family member or a friend who may not know very much about it? Yeah, as, as uh, we know around here, explaining anything in healthcare and healthcare systems is very challenging for um, people that don't work within it. Um, and so, really, with this program, I would start just with the definition as defined by the regional accountable entity. And we focus on the word accountable uh, because we really do see our work as being uh, partnering with the state um, and being accountable for. Uh, what we call the quadruple aim in the industry. And and the quadruple aim is fairly simple. Uh, One is focusing on the population's health and improving that. Um, The other uh, is really focusing on the patient and and their satisfaction. Um, And we look at the quality of the services that they're receiving. Um, We know, thirdly, that we have to focus on costs and bending the cost curve. Um, because healthcare costs uh, historically have gone up uh, at an unmanageable pace, and we need to manage that. And, you know, the fourth is m- more new to our vernacular, but it, it's really focusing on the provider's satisfaction. And we focus on that because the provider network that um, works with the Medicaid population um, is challenged sometimes. And it's the fee schedules aren't what they're used to, and really what we're trying to do is increase access. And so if we can't uh, manipulate the fee schedules as much, um, we need to be able to make the experience for the provider better so they'll uh, increase their access and see more members throughout there. So that's uh, if we boil it down and put it down to four bullets, that's how we would explain it. Patrick, turning to you, you've been involved in the state's approach to providing behavioral health services, which includes uh, mental health services and and substance use disorder services, uh, to Coloradans for a while, and now you're involved in the regional accountable entities, the RAISE, and in Medicaid. Uh, What drives you to do this work? This is a real exciting time uh, for Medicaid in Colorado and an, an exceptional opportunity Uh, We get to act on those things that we've always believed, that the integration of physical and behavioral health care is crucial 
to the well-being of uh, the members. The partners that comprise the Colorado Community Health Alliance uh, have been leaders in physical and behavioral health integration, uh, both regionally and nationally, and we hope to bring that expertise to continue to uh, promote a better um, better healthcare delivery system, one that's more coordinated, more seamless from the member's perspective, and where providers feel like they're connected to a larger health community when they're delivering care for one of our members. Uh, one of the ways we intend to do this is actually to focus on the social determinants of health, uh, which are those aspects of an individual's um, overall well-being that are not um, classically thought of as health, such as access to food, access to stable and safe shelter, access to um, appropriate clothing, access to transportation, employment opportunities, and a positive social network. Ken, the Colorado Community Health Alliance, or, or CCHA, is unique in some regards because you have two regions of the state that you're overseeing as a ray. So could you tell us a little bit about those two regions? Uh, of course. Um, it is quite uh, diverse. Um, uh, region 6, uh, which is uh, our traditional region that we had the, the RICO contract with um, over the last six plus years, um, is uh, mostly um, urban um, population, high density of population, but we do still have Clear Creek and Gilpin that are very um, mountainous, and uh, healthcare delivery is uh, less common up there. Um, region 7 has uh, some uh, similar challenges. You have El Paso, which is, again, uh, the second largest metro area for the Dem uh, compared to Denver. Um, a lot of services, a lot of providers, um, uh, uh, an ED, uh, freestanding ED on every corner. Um, but that's quite different than Parker Teller, where in Park um, we struggle to even find a single provider on the physical health side and behavioral health side, really, to um, provide the services that we need. So we're going to have to become um, a little bit more creative. Um, the communities also differ in the resources they have available. And um, it certainly proves that in many ways healthcare is still local. Because uh, uh, the, the counties are different and El Paso County certainly operates differently than Boulder County. Um, and so we can't just fully replicate what we've done in the past. Um, we are going to have to create new partnerships, um, learn about the counties, um, uh, educate them on what we can do, and then come to an agreement on how to best partner. So Patrick, uh, Ken just talked about some of the unique uh, characteristics and, and even some of the challenges that are in your two regions. Could you talk a little bit about some of the approaches that CCHA may be taking to uh, really fulfill its goals as a ray within those two regions? Sure. CCHA uh, is bringing an innovative technology platform that includes advanced data analytics so that we can analyze population health as well as um, health for the member across many different uh, domains. And this data is so crucial so that we can get a sense as to not just where that member is accessing care and services or where they have needs that falls clearly within the scope of what the regional accountable entity is responsible for, but those other unmet needs um, and that by 
attaching a care coordinator, a person who will form a real relationship with that member to say, hey, when we analyze the data, we see that there may be some issues with your ability to access housing. We'll work with you to help you to access local housing resources in your area by drawing on county and state resources. That's the kind of um, unique um, touch approach that we are bringing to the members that the member will experience. Um, so this is not where data and analytics is operating in, a, um, in an ivory tower and it's affecting the person's life without them knowing it. By analyzing the unmet need, we're actually then able to deliver resources specifically for that person to directly change the course of their life and their, and their health plan. So Patrick, you've talked a little bit about how members will be impacted by care coordination and, and uh, the use of data. Could you talk a little bit more about what will be different for Medicaid members uh, moving forward? Sure. As a manager um, under the new ray of both physical and behavioral health benefits, we're able to expand our provider network and improve access to care uh, and services uh, for our members. We'll also have more access to the data that will help us to better understand the member population. And we'll use this combined with um, enhanced communications uh, with members, their family members and caregivers to understand their unique needs and preferences. Uh, this approach will allow us to integrate and implement member-specific, family-specific uh, approaches and strategies that account for that person's life stage, uh, the health condition, their health-related behaviors, and those social determinants of health I referred to earlier. Um, and we expect that all of that will improve uh, the member's uh, outcome. And I think, I think primarily, it, it's really about putting the member at the center of their own care. They're the quarterback for care. So the old traditional model where you went to a physician and the, the healthcare provider basically told you what was to be done to you based on the condition that you have, we're, we're really um, changing that paradigm and saying, no, you're the member, you're at a particular stage in your life, you have certain social circumstances that constrain your access to care. Do I go to that doctor's appointment to manage my diabetes and risk losing my job, or do I go to my job and jeopardize my physical health? Those are decisions that only the member can make. We want to know from that member what those challenges are so that we can figure out ways to reduce those barriers. Maybe there's a way we can reschedule your endocrine appointment for a different time of day. Maybe there's a way we can um, ensure that you have uh, transportation that will get you there or childcare so that you can go spend those four hours at that health clinic to address this need. What we realize is if we don't address the barriers that prevent the member from accessing the care that they want but are constrained by the circumstances of life, it costs everyone in, in the long run. And it, do you have an example of how that might happen, how you might address some of those barriers to care in your region? Sure. Uh, there's, there are opportunities for members to take advantage of non-emergent medical transport um, that that member may not even be aware of. Um, and so it really means sitting down with the member and not just talking about their health, but what are all the things that are considered by them in determining how best they're going to, um, to manage their health. And if we find out that transportation is an issue or childcare is an issue, we'll then work with agencies 
to see to what extent we can reduce um, or uh, eliminate those barriers to enable them to have that, that access to care. So, Ken, um, what have been some of the challenges so far, or what challenges do you anticipate as this second phase of the Accountable Care Collaborative uh, rolls out uh, within Colorado's Medicaid program? Um, you, there's certainly been some uh, common challenges, I think, amongst all the uh, Ray contractors. Um, you know, number one would be attribution. Attribution is the method for how members get assigned to a medical home um, or a PCP. And that changed within this uh, iteration in the phase two of the ACC program. And so we continue to work on making sure that it's correct um, and that the, both the members and the providers are happy with the attribution as it stands right now. And, and again, attribution is this process by essentially which the, the members, the Medicaid members get assigned to or or connected to a primary care provider is that right that's right and so um one way that happens is they'll look at claims history and if there was a history of uh, a, a contact between a member and a primary care physician then that's an easy attribution to make um, where it becomes more challenging is if the member is new into medicaid and they have no claim history that can is visible and so uh, attribution can just happen by proximity to the provider and so we need to educate the member who they're connected to at that point because they've never seen that provider and vice versa. The provider's never seen the member. And so we work heavily on that within the first 90 days, 120 days is going to be a big push. You know, number two for us um, is just building provider trust. Um, we're new into Region 7, and, and it's a challenge. There's a lot of contracting that needs to take place. There's a lot of uh, data agreements that need to take uh, place. Um, and we have a lot of uh, uh, learning to do. And so uh, we're continuing to build that trust with the provider network. And, and then that's been uh, a challenge because it's new, it's different. And um, not, not uncommon for those, especially as I said, in Region 7 where we're a new participant. Um, so we're building that trust. Um, and Lastly, it is just learning the communities. Um, who are the agencies that we've talked about that are going to help us down the road? Where uh, do we have a contact with every food bank? Do we have a contact with uh, uh, every religious group that we need to have? Um, and those, um, while challenging, is, is part of the work, uh, certainly for the first 90 to 120 days. So Patrick, Ken just spoke about uh, building trust among providers. Do you see other changes uh, that will affect healthcare providers or, or behavioral health providers as the Accountable Care Collaborative rolls out or, or evolves to this next phase? I do. Uh, oftentimes, providers need specific resources to best meet the needs of the patient that they're seeing in front of them. They don't always know what resources are available in the community um, to address those social determinants of health, as we talked about. Um, physicians, when they go through medical school, know a lot about disease and disease management, but not necessarily about how to access the resources to help that person best meet uh, their own needs. And so we want to work with those providers. Uh, we have practice transformation coaches that are available to go into those practices to say, hey, we, um, we've analyzed some of the data and we see that some of these outcomes haven't been all that advantageous. Are you asking your members these specific questions about um, 
whether they have food in their house, whether they have access to transportation, or why they're not attending your appointments, the, those why questions. And, and also, if you're, for instance, a primary care provider, like a family medicine doctor, and someone comes in and asks questions and, and um, tells you that they're struggling with depression or that they're hearing voices, are you familiar with the available resources in your area that you can refer that person to in order for that aspect of their life and, and their care to be met? And in many instances, um, those solo practitioners don't know what resources or what referral resources are available. Practice transformation coaches and care coordinators can assist the provider in making sure that the member has access to the uh, appropriate care. And additionally, Providers are sometimes constrained by a lack of available information. There's a wealth of information available uh, w regarding uh, an individual's health care through the Health Information Exchange in Colorado, but not all providers um, have access to the Health Information Exchange or even are even aware that it exists if they're, they've been working in a solo practice for a period of time. It's making providers aware that there is a data warehouse that's secure, that's encrypted, that you can receive information from, and that you can upload information to, so that if your patient gets admitted to hospital, the hospital doctor at 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday can actually have access to your notes. But in order to do that, you have to have an electronic uh, health record and access to the information exchange. We're working with the providers in our network to ensure that um, as many of them as possible can have access to that crucial information. So I want to know in three or four years, how will you know if the approaches that you've described today will be successful? Data is going to be a, uh, an essential aspect of that. Ken referred earlier to the quadruple aim. If we want to know about how well we're doing in managing the overall health of the populations we serve, uh, we need data to be able to do that. Uh, if we want to know about uh, whether each individual patient in our region, um, whether their um, mental and medical and mental health conditions are being adequately addressed, uh, we need data for that. And similarly, whether providers, members, and their families are satisfied with the care that they're receiving under the current system. And so we're going to rely on data to help, to help us know both how well we're doing and in what areas uh, we need to pivot in order to meet a previously unknown and unmet need. So you mentioned satisfaction. What are some of the specific data points that you're going to be monitoring to, to look at your success? We'll be asking uh, more directly questions of members about their satisfaction with their care. That's, that's been um, something that healthcare policy and financing has done uh, for years and that we intend to, um, to expand upon. Are, are there other uh, examples of data points, uh, maybe outside of the, the satisfaction uh, realm, but that you'll be looking at, like uh, use of healthcare services or access to healthcare services? Yes, we intend to, um, to the extent permissible, to access that information through the Health Information Exchange. Health Information Exchange um, is being adopted by more and more practices, and there are steps within the state of Colorado to see whether or not jails um, can uh, uh, upload 
information to the Health Information Exchange so that we're going to be able to see whether our member is touching um, different systems of care or management that, that had previously been unknown. So, wow, from our perspective, this person isn't using a lot of, um, a lot of health resources or they haven't over the last four or five months. I wonder why that is. Oh, it's because they they were arrested and have been in jail for the last four months. We want to know that, and we want to know why. What were the circumstances that led to them um, being in jail? Was it because they were hearing voices that were not being adequately addressed, and that they then uh, were arrested and brought into jail and had an evaluation to see if they were fit for trial? Um, those are reasons that an individual can essentially fall off the grid and and um, and from a cost perspective, be a, a low utilizer, but they're a high utilizer of the whole system in the state of Colorado. And so accessing data uh, will enable us to see uh, true, truly whether an individual is a high utilizer of services representing, which, which for me means that they have a lot of unmet needs. Like the high utilization of services means we're failing to address the needs of that citizen in our state. It's not that it's necessarily a failing on their part. Um, those social determinants aren't being met. Uh, they're having difficulty accessing care. And so that's what's driving up those costs. Ken, is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, I, I would agree. Data and measurement is, is going to be critical in this phase, too, in, in, in proving that you're performing. And for providers, the bar is going to raise on, on what we have to measure. and. And that's why it's important for them to trust us so that we can come in and, and help them. Some of the other areas that, that are softer that we're going to need to measure um, to gauge our success are around the social determinants. Um, right now, food banks are great, and finding them are, are great, and helping them uh, receive um, additional resources uh, are great. The next evolution of this is how many of our food banks are equipped to handle a diabetic population um, because a food bank isn't great um, sometimes for a diabetic um, to show up um, or somebody with hypertension. So those type of measurements over the next three or four years will be important. Also, um, I would add the providers. And the measurement for that provider is if they were willing to, uh, a PCP was willing to have a panel of 50 or 100 Medicaid, have they doubled that? If they have, then we've uh, expanded access. It's easier for the members to get in. And it's probably a win-win for both sides of that equation. Well, Ken Nielsen, Patrick Fox, thank you both so much for being here today. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Patrick and Ken for joining us. They were representing the Colorado Community Health Alliance, which is the Ray for Region 6 and 7. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cohealthinst or find us on Facebook. Our email is podcast at coloradohealthinstitute.org. Join us on the web to find more of our interviews with Ray leaders and more of our work on other health policy issues. I'm Jackie Zabrigi at CHI. Thanks so much for listening.